but I would say it really has to be an active sport. And the best thing you can do, and what I do every single day, is keep trying and trying and trying. And, and that is actually what entrepreneur is about. It's really creating your own luck, trying, getting out there, you know, eat right and make sure you have enough energy and wear good supportive shoes <laughs> um, <laughs> because you're going to need all of that energy to be able to build the change you want to see in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is the rebellious Christy Lagali. Christy is a former Boeing engineer. Uh, she holds multiple manufacturing tech patents, and as of the past few years, she is the founder and CEO of Rebellious Foods, uh, based out of Seattle. Uh, for those that don't know, Rebellious makes uh, manufacturing equipment specifically uh, for the plant-based meat industry. Um, so traditionally, um, like Beyond and Impossible and kind of the household names, they are using equipment that um, is traditionally used in meat manufacturing and they're making kind of small adjustments to it. Obviously, that has its limitations because the process of making plant-based meats is um, very different. So Rebellious is kind of a pioneer in making uh, manufacturing equipment specifically for plant-based meats. Um, so really interesting. They also make um, a line of plant-based chicken products like chicken nuggets and chicken patties, and I'll leave links to uh, their website in the show notes. So we talk about Christie's path of uh, being an engineer to ultimately founding Rebellious, um, how Rebellious is going about changing the way plant-based meat is manufactured, her experience as a woman in the very male-dominated fields of uh, engineering and business, her advice to women in business, the advantages of plant-based chicken nuggets versus traditional chicken nuggets, um, how sharing her why on shows like this and being open about uh, her values makes her business more authentic, how she accomplishes big goals, and how to build the change you want to see in the world. Uh, Christy is obviously an absolute force of nature. She's extremely smart, talented, um, and what they're doing at Rebellious is um, certainly needed to um, scale plant-based meats uh, faster and also get the price point down so that it can be more readily available and accessible and easier for people to make that decision um, in the United States and, and throughout the world. So without further ado, the one and only Christy Lagali. All right, Christy, welcome to the show. Um, as I was just saying, we've been on this like plant-based uh, alternative meat slash plant-based food spree on the podcast here. Um, just had Paul Shapiro for people that have been following um, and Josh Bach of, of Just, um, and now you of Rebellious. So we've just been having like a bunch of rock stars on. Um, <laughs> so welcome and super excited to have you and uh, very excited to get the, the full story uh, of you and also Rebellious. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Tons of fun. Cool. So I'd love to get just like a little, a little background on you maybe if you could fill us in kind of on 
um, where you're from, how you sort of um, ended up in engineering. Have you always been, as, as we say here in Boston, have you always been wicked smart? <laughs> that's very funny um well i don't know i guess just as long as i've i don't know i don't know the quick answer to that i'll have to think about that one a little bit more but um yeah happy to tell you a little bit about myself um i i grew up in golden colorado um my much some of my family still lives there and um and I, you know, basically went to college to become an engineer. Actually, a little bit later in life, I, I went to college and got a degree in, in, in psychology first. And um, then actually decided I wanted to be an engineer and went back to school to become an engineer and got my both my bachelor's and my master's degree in mechanical engineering to go work in the aerospace industry. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I care about a lot of things that a lot of people in your podcast probably care about as well, addressing climate change, human health, animal welfare, um, and on all the, you know, myriad of ways that meat impacts our lives when, or animal products in general impact our lives. Um, we, we see really a lot of motivation to, to do something to change the food industry. So while I didn't start out in the food industry, I started out, you know, wanting to either work on climate change or work on space travel or work on um, aircraft. I, I got to do those things and now I get to do this too. <laughs> so um, it's been a little bit of a journey from, from working on a wide variety of things as an engineer, but, um, but, I, but I'm pretty excited to be in the food industry now because it's, it's a true opportunity to address some major issues. Mm. Yeah, and at what point, kind of along your path did you become aware of these issues and what kind of information did you get that you know led you Gosh. to being so passionate that you wanted to do something about it yeah you know i was of the generation um i actually used to say this as a kid i will be i will have been one of the first generations you know, growing up in the late 80s um, and early 90s, um, when we were kind of the first generation that was living our entire lives under the threat of global climate change. It was always looming out there from as long as I can remember. And that wasn't the case for, for my mother's generation and certainly not my grandmother's generation. When, you know, even my grandmother was born in 1923, would have not actually lived most of her life under the threat of global climate change because it didn't actually start becoming an issue until more of the, you know, deeper industrial revolution and closer to the 1940s or 50s, when we really started to see increases in, you know, in, in, in CO2 emissions, although it, it definitely um, started before that. Um, but scientists really started to allow to warn us as a society and as a global society about um, driving our cars with CO2 emissions, coal-fired power plants, um, although I don't don't remember ever, you know, not eating, not eating meat or dairy ever was part of that issue, you know, in the 1980s, 90s, or even less so in the 2000s, although I know that those that people were very much aware of those. But what I used to do as a kid was just like recycle everything I had to do, I had to find a way to recycle it. And I almost went into like, sanitation engineering or trash engineering because I was absolutely fascinated <laughs> with things that needed to be recycled and what you could make them into and, and, um, 
I remember as a kid, my my grandmother had a um, a van. Um, it was it was called Astro for some reason. I think it was made by I don't know Toyota or Chevrolet an or Astro something van. like that. An Astro van. She had an Astro van. Uh-huh. I thought I found that fascinating, and so I kept doing these like designs to redesign the car so that it was such a really cool car or a really cool van. And um and but it was like human powered since there was enough room for everybody to like power. <laughs> So they didn't, my grandmother did not accept my design, but, um, but I do remember, I have a strong uh, memory of trying to redesign that van so that it would be human powered instead of gas powered. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So, so when did you kind of become uh, aware of the, the animal impact on the climate? Was there a certain like aha moment or information you got? Yes, but it was relatively recently, actually. I mean, I, I became a kind of quasi vegetarian um, as a very young teenager and then a vegetarian as a later teenager. Um, I just cared about animals and I didn't want to eat them. And, um, you know, like a lot of people, they become aware of an issue and they realize, well, I don't need to do harm. Why not just not do harm? And, um, you know, and then actually later in my teenage years, I think I was 19 when I went vegan and it, it was because, you know, I learned about the issues of meat and dairy. It was probably a good uh, 15 years before of being vegan before I started to hear the larger story about how meat and dairy impacts climate change and impacts our environment and impacts other things besides climate change, water pollution, air pollution, um, social justice issues, um, you know, everything from methane pollution, um, you know, bleeding of chemicals into our groundwater. Like, you know, we worry a lot about climate change, but, you know, especially the chicken industry can be very toxic to the ground that it's in and the air that it's being, um, you know, these farms are running in. And it's it's really a social justice issue for the people who live around them and and even for the farmers who run these farms. So mm. it's it's a really kind of multifaceted issue from an environmental perspective, but it really wasn't until much later. And I remember learning about, I remember learning two things at the same time um, when I was, I don't know, maybe in my late thirties or something like that. And thinking to my, uh, learning about how, um, you know, meat and dairy consumption or meat and dairy production specifically had a huge impact on climate change, um, but also that it was actually better for my health to not be eating meat, dairy, and eggs, that I was in better, you know, that that I actually wasn't risking my health. I was totally willing to risk my health, <laughs> um, but that was also because I actually did feel better, you know, as somebody who's like very deeply allergic to eggs and dairy, and if I ever interact with eggs, I just not, it's not a good thing. Um, but having, you know, those allergies, I always felt better, but it was really surprising when I started to learn more about, um, you know, the impacts of what we eat, it became more understood in, you know, kind of the general knowledge of people that, you know, it's better for the environment and it's better, obviously for our health. Uh, I was doing it cause it was better for the animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. On that front, have you over the years, I think you said 15 years there, um, I mean, what has it done for you and your your health and your your day to day, if anything? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, for, I, I became vegan almost overnight because I was just so allergic to things uh, like meat, and I'm not meat. I was allergic to meat. I was allergic to dairy and eggs, and um, so. 
I mean, I don't really know the difference because <laughs> I was just eating it one day and then the next day I felt so much better and I felt mm. even better the next day and the next day because for people who have like either like internal allergies to dairy or even a like something like an intolerance, which are two different things. Allergies are a, you know, kind of a, an immune reaction to dairy or eggs and the other with like an intolerance, like a lactose intolerance. I was actually both. <laughs> and, um, and so I felt better immediately. So I think probably the most remarkable thing is that I've been a vegan for over 20 years now. And I, um, I, I just, don't seem to have as many health issues as that people similar in my age. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably, it's, it's not so much that I recovered for anything other than the fact that I felt terrible because of my allergies and my intolerance to feeling not terrible almost overnight. And since then, I just, I feel like either I'm very, very lucky or um, it's, there's, there's something to eating well and eating right for yourself. Although I do have to say, there's enough j vegan junk food out there to not eat. <laughs> totally, totally, so, totally. <laughs> so um, I, I do recommend that people do try to eat a whole foods plant-based diet, but you know, I, I don't do it every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So you go on, you, you spend a number of years at Boeing, mm -hmm. then the Good Food Institute, um, right. mm -hmm. and now Rebellious. So tell us kind of, what you have taken away from like your years at Boeing and other companies um, and kind of applied it to the plant-based space, how have they all kind of intertwined? Yeah, that's a great question because that really is at the heart of soul, at the heart and soul of rebellious is that um, we exist to make it possible to make plant-based meat faster, better, and cheaper. And we do that by designing and deploying new production equipment that, you know, lowers the cost overall of making plant-based meat and making it possible to um, essentially produce those products um, in less space with fewer, you know, hands-on people to the equipment and to do it faster. And that's another really big thing is that, you know, plant-based meat, about 90% of all plant-based meat is basically made in the same way. They use traditional meat processing equipment. And um, by designing better equipment, equipment that isn't designed for meat processing, but is actually designed for vegetable protein processing, which is a completely different, different set of uh, design um, criteria, then you can actually process the materials correctly with higher quality, with um, you know, more speed, with higher success rates. And so um, overall, we were really trying to make a fundamental change, and we still are trying to make that fundamental change to how we make plant-based meat, what the factory looks like. And that's what we do at Rebellious. We run a living laboratory. Um, as we're making our products, we're also testing new equipment and making sure that the um, making sure that the products that come out are always high quality. And what we find is that by automating and mechanizing that um, that manufacturing, we get much higher quality products because we can see that they are, you know, kind of less over processed or, you know, variety of improvements that we see. But all of this really came down to the fact that I started the company um, having really become fascinated by manufacturing engineering while I was at Boeing. And I did other types of engineering before that. I've worked in noise engineering. I've done design engineering. I've done you know, structural engineering and um, in a wide variety of other capacities. 
studies, either in aerospace or previously in, I worked on roller coasters at one point and um, did a lot of really interesting projects over my career. But manufacturing engineering is basically what I was doing at Boeing and that was designing new tools to build airplanes. So figuring out ways to build the airplane faster, better and cheaper. And so that was the skill I brought forward to Rebellious Foods and starting the company Rebellious Foods or our, our corporate name is actually Seattle Food Tech. So we've got that technology portion kind of in our history and in our name. But we, we go by the name Rebellious Food because it's a little bit more fun than the Seattle Food Tech. But it, it really does harken back to our, our roots of starting a company around better manufacturing so that we can truly meet the needs of consumers who are looking for cost-competitive plant-based meat, not just plant-based meat they can only afford once a month. Mm, yeah, yeah. And this is unique and different, like mainly because like the companies that exist, like that everybody, that, that the household name ones, the impossible, the beyond, mm -hmm. they're essentially using traditional meat making processes for the most part mm -hmm. um, and really relying on scale to get their prices down versus the actually changing the process. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that's that's a certainly viable way of helping to bring the price down on the manufacturing of plant-based meat. That's basic economics, right? If you can make more of it, then you can lower the price or so you think. Um, the problem becomes more of one of fundamental physics. Um, it actually takes more steps to make plant-based meat at the at the processing facility even though it starts as an animal, that pre-processing of the animal is done elsewhere. And so at the factory where you're making hamburgers and hot dogs and you know, chicken nuggets, they use the equipment for a certain amount of time to make those animal-based products. Maybe they put seasoning in, they mix it up, they send it through the, the rest of the automated line. When they use that same equipment for making plant-based meat, you end up having to use it three times as long, <laughs> or you end up having to use it in a different way or you end up having to use it, empty it, and fill it again, and then fill it again, and add ex extra ingredients. Essentially, there are more specific steps to making plant-based meat. And as a result, we realized that these were just the wrong tools. They were the wrong mm. tools. And so by scaling, you know, expecting the price to come down fully just by scaling, you're essentially scaling the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, you're scaling the bad process. We want to scale the good process. And that doesn't mean in the future we can't, you know, sell our equipment to Impossible and then they can scale the better right. process or the be and the better equipment. But somebody's got to design it first. And that's what we do at Rebellious is we design equipment, we build it, and um, I mean, we build prototypes of it, we deploy it, and we get help from other people to build it as well. Mm, yeah, amazing. And is this... Was this kind of a need you discovered when you were at the Good Food Institute? Um, partly when I was at the Good Food Institute, partly it was something I, I had kind of seen in the background. I was like, why is plant-based meat so rare? You know, I've been a vegan for a really long time. I like plant-based meat, and yet I can still go to my local QFC or a grocery store or Safeway, and I still can't always find what I'm looking for, or they always run out. And I was like, why is there so little, you know? Mm. And so I did go work for the Good Food Institute for a little more than a year, year, year and a half or so, which was an enormous um, learning opportunity, enormous opportunity to make a difference. Um, but it also really just solidified that question in my mind, like, why is there so little of these products out there? And, and just to give people a, a reference, 
reference, <laughs> just to give people a reference, in the United States alone, that we produce over 108 billion pounds of animal-based meat, and yet we only produce, even with all of the expansion, we only produce about one half of 1% of that volume in plant-based meat. So all the Impossible Burgers, Beyond Burgers, Morningstar chicken nuggets, rebellious chicken nuggets in the entire United States only accounts for less than half of 1% of the meat industry by volume. And that basically means that if we're telling people to reduce their meat consumption, they really can only have plant-based meat like on a per capita basis. It's like one person, one meal per person per year. <laughs> it's like insanely small because it's so small or I'm sorry, is it one person per person? It's just a very small amount. Mm. It's like 0.5% of your meals every day, every year, so to speak. So it ends yeah. up being, yeah, it's about one person per person per meal, one meal per person per year. Yeah. I don't think people realize that because- mm -hmm if you're kind of in the know or it, at all health conscious, like these seem to be exploding and seem to be everywhere now. Mm -hmm. um, but it is still just such a small, it's not even a piece of the pie really yet. It's not even a piece of the pie. In fact, the waste of the an of animal meat industry, just like the things that we throw out is something like 40 times the size of the plant-based wow. meat industry. It really is goes to show you how much food waste there is out there. But, um, but also what it shows you is that it's largely just available to the people who can afford it and mm. the people who have access to it. And the vast majority of the rest of people <laughs> don't, don't at all. You know, maybe they tried one impossible burger like three years ago, but they never saw it again. Or maybe, yeah, maybe they just had very little access to it. And that's where we get into trouble. It's kind of the same thing as like trying to tell people not to drive their car to reduce emissions for climate change, but not funding public transportation. Correct. You know, we we fundamentally have to help people make better choices by giving them better choices. And, and that's where we start to see an uptick in better choices for people, for, for, for whether it's for themselves, for their own human health, or for now the betterment of the planet. And since we don't really have that much time left on a planet that is getting hotter, we really have to essentially fund the solutions to this and not wait for, you know, scaling or something, you know, magic uh, scale of economy to fix it because it's, it's deeper than that. The problem is deeper than that. And um, that's, that's what we're trying to fix at Rebellious. Mm, yeah. And, and is that what you mean by, um, you said something about uh, not elitist or something, you say something in your Instagram I saw, but is that kind of what you mean? This is sort of like, the affordable, you know, chicken products or whatever products you guys plan are planning to make in the future as well. Like mm -hmm. the, the every man's uh, chicken nuggets, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, in my mind, the 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 people who should be choosing our products are the you know family of five who went to the ballpark, and who went to the ballpark and found that you know the plant based chicken nuggets were better than the animal based chicken nuggets, and they were exactly the same price. Um, my interest is that you know family of five who also had the grandparents over in the middle of Ohio that just needs a quick dinner to feed everybody and they can do it as cheaply as they would do it with Tyson chicken nuggets. You know, those are the people we want to reach because remember their decisions, as we all know, their decisions about meat or driving their car or, or whatever impacts us. 
And so we care what other people do. You know, we live in a democracy, so we have a lot of freedom. We have the opportunity to make our own choices, but we can make better choices. And as, a, as an industry, as a plant-based meat industry or the solar industry or, you know, even better transportation options, you know, we can give people better options. And that, but that's our customer. It's the person who doesn't have time to think about it, but would be willing to make that better decision. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So for the, for the entrepreneurs listening, you, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you are a first-time entrepreneur with Rebellious, yeah? I am. I am. I am, so, as I often feel reminded of myself. <laughs> of yeah. Hey, I, I, I always say that's, that's often an advantage, an advantage, too, because you don't know how things are, quote-unquote, typically done. So and, true. And you see things in, in a different way. Um, but... Uh, for the entrepreneurs listening, you know, you, this is your first startup. You now have raised many millions of dollars in funding. Um, you're, you're clearly um, having some level of success, um, you know, only four or five years in or, or whatever it is now. Um, what? Oh, it's, it's only three years. <laughs> it's only three years. I'm sorry. Okay. Only yes. three years. Um, you know, what, what advice would you give to... Um, the entrepreneurs listening that are maybe at a Boeing or maybe at a career, but they have, um, you know, a passion or a cause that um, they would prefer to be tackling, uh, but, you know, maybe have many of the fears of, of starting a business and the fears of losing a very, what was probably a very nice Boeing uh, salary um, mm -hmm. and having all this risk in their life. What, what would you say to that person? Well, so you definitely have to make choices, especially regarding risk. I remember when I first started um, Seattle Food Tech and Rebellious Foods, I remember, I remember telling my friends, I was like, I feel bathed in risk. Like I'm just taking risks everywhere I go, <laughs> every conversation I have, taking risks with my personal finances, or, you know, had to not take a salary for a while. There were just, there were just risks everywhere. And I definitely had to get comfortable with it. But it's interesting. One of the things that I learned about risk is that risk is worth it for the right thing. You know, maybe it's worth it some for some people for making more money. But for me, it was about passion to solve a problem. And, and it was worth it to me for, you know, addressing the things that were near and dear to my heart, like the protection of animals or addressing climate change or really, you know, transforming our food system in a way that would be, um, you know, sustainable for the long term, not just, not just something that, like I always said, said to, uh, you know, my friends and mentors, I was like, we, we don't necessarily need Rebellious to be another plant-based meat company. We need Rebellious to change the plant-based meat industry. In a lot of ways, we didn't want to disrupt the animal meat industry as much as we wanted to disrupt the plant-based meat industry mm. by giving the plant-based meat industry a path forward. And not just ourselves, but even other companies that can buy our equipment or will be able to buy our equipment. And even better, we wanted to give the chicken industry a path forward so that they could convert chicken processing facilities to plant-based meat facilities using our equipment. And so, you know, what I would say 
to entrepreneurs is find, you know, understand what your passion is, go after it, learn about it, and, um, and be as active as you can intensely for as long as you feel like it's the right for you. And then continue to intensify that if it feels right to you. So for example, I've always been passionate about the protection of animals. You know, long before I became an entrepreneur, I was volunteering for animal shelters or volunteering on boards or raising money. Or one of my passions is politics, and I, um, I, I've always, I've always been involved in the political advocacy for animals. Whether it be, you know, 15 years ago when I helped uh, me and my friend Helen pass the first uh, ban on the sale of retail dogs in pet stores um, to curb the, you know, import the illegal import of, of, of puppy mill dogs into Canada and then where I used to live in Canada. I'm an American, but I used to live in Canada. And, um, and what we did is we actually, we actually got two bans on the books. We banned the retail sale of dogs in pet stores. And then we also banned, actually prior to that, we banned the retail sale of bunny rabbits into pet, um, from pet stores. And what this did is it really stemmed the problem of animal homelessness in a very small town up in near British, in, um, near Vancouver in Richmond, British Columbia, because what it allowed us to do is essentially start to control the hundreds of animals that were going through people's houses and then into the shelter. And fundamentally, it was a it was a harm to the public good to have to continue to pay for that. So that kind of passion for something that you need to go after that you can make a difference um, is where I started. And I can see a lot of people, um, you know, finding something like that and then continuing to intensify it. So I was looking for more and better ways um, to to protect animals or protect the environment or protect the public good. And so that was where I got started. But even now, I I do a lot of work in, um, you know, protecting, you know, supporting. I run the Humane Voters of Washington along with a few other friends. And we are a political action committee working to endorse candidates that um, protect animals as part of their platform. Um, or, you know, I've participated in the National Women's Political Caucus that supports women's rights and, um, in, and try to do that in my own company by hiring a lot of women in technical and leadership roles. In fact, you'll find that we're almost exclusively women and I, my company and some very fantastic men, very compassionate men. So, you know, I really try to find a way to start small and then intensify those passions so that you can make a bigger and bigger difference each and every year. Mm, I love it. I love it. So on that front, what has your experience been like as a woman in a engineering field? I'm a mechanical engineer myself and I know like school, the school I went to was like 80% men. Like my first few jobs in engineering were all men. Yes. Um, you know, now as an entrepreneur, I'm sure in most companies, it's mostly men that you interface with um, in your industry. What has that been like in, in maybe, maybe specifically to, to the females listening? Do you have anything to say on that front? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lonely road sometimes. <laughs> um, it's always good to find allies. And, and there's a lot of great male allies out there that I, I consider friends and people who I know who would support me, you know, no matter who I am and, and no matter, you know, no matter what, no matter who I naturally am. And I think that that is um, one really good way is to, is to find your allies. And I, I remember having the same experience. I went to the University of um, California at Santa Barbara. There were 100 
10 people in my, in my mechanical engineering class when we graduated, there were nine women. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. It's still very, very, very male dominated. Um, The chemical engineers, they always had more women in their, in their team, but the mechanical engineers still was predominantly men. Mm. So Um, but at any rate, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, find your friends, always have girls night, (laughs) find your people that you can hang out with other women. I mean, for a long time, I worked with only men, literally only men at Boeing. And then on Tuesday night, I went to ballet class (laughs) and (laughs) just got to be a girl for the evening. (laughs) And if I missed ballet class, I just couldn't stand it. Like I had to just find a way to be a little, you know, just to be myself. Mm. Um, But, you know, I think the important thing is you have to find a way to make it okay to be smart and be effective and be forthright and to be confident. And sometimes that takes trial and error. And sometimes it takes learning some very hard lessons. Um, You know, one of the things that women in technical roles, but women in general suffer from a lot is is kind of being like micro punished for being forthright or being um, outgoing or outspoken or even just taking risks. And it can be things like their family not supporting them or they get home in the the evening and maybe the family hasn't made dinner even though they promised they would. Or it's almost like just be these little tiny things that just kind of prick at you and you get tired. You get tired of having to fight the battle on both sides where, you know, in in kind of a a traditional male society, there would be a lot more expected support for men. And so I think what we have to do as women is, is keep asking for people to support us, even, and if they don't, they don't, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, But it's really, really important to learn that lesson early on, to remind yourself as much as possible. And I even have a a little post-it note somewhere on my screen here, um, somewhere on my computer here that actually says, you know, keep asking for what you need. Because even though women grow up kind of being told not to, although Mm. I think think that's less so in the next generation of people, Um, it's important that women ask for what they need and not feel too bad about, or not feel bad at all about doing that. And if people don't give you what you need, then move on and find somebody who can be an ally to you and that you can be an ally to them because that's one of the great things, you know, generally, generally speaking about women is they, they do want to support each other. And, um, the more opportunities we have to do that, the better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. One thing I have noticed on that front um, having, having five sisters and, and many, many women in, in my life is, is a lot of, a lot of, uh, I'm speaking just from to, uh, about the women in my life. A lot of them feel like they have to be like overly qualified to do everything. Yeah. Like so many of them are like absolute badasses with this, like, you know, like straight A's through high school, like top university straight A's, like just dominate their jobs And then like, you know, I'll be talking to them about like a potential job they're interviewing for and they're worried about asking for too much or they're worried about like not being qualified for the the role. And I'm like, are you looking at the same resume that I'm looking at right now? (laughs) Whereas like, I feel like at least with me and and a lot of men I know, they they feel way more comfortable uh, kind of selling themselves and, and faking it till they make it type thing. Um, just something I've, I've, I've noticed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that unfortunately happens a lot. And, um, 
but you do have to fake it till you make it sometimes, <laughs> you know, although I think that you can also push back, you know, on, on people who, you know, maybe spend too much time worrying about whether women are qualified. Mm. Um, you know, I, I remember one early engineer, uh, sorry, early investor meeting that always stands out in my head, um, who, where I pitched this idea of starting a company making plant-based meat using new optimized equipment from the design phase up prototyping it and deploying it. And they just loved it. They thought it was the best in the world. And they eventually came back and said, we're just not sure that you're the right person to run this company. And I said, why? You know, I've been an engineer for 20 years. I, uh, I have five patents in manufacturing technology. I've run teams of over 40 or over 30 people um, in a big engineering company. I'm a vegan. I know plant-based meat. I used to work at the Good Food Institute. Is there something I'm missing here? <laughs> and, you know, sorry, you know, it, it's hard sometimes to like present it out that way, but I literally did that. And it doesn't change people's minds that much, but it definitely gave them a shock. Mm. <laughs> but it just goes to show you, you're absolutely right. Women are expected to be a little bit over, you know, pretty yeah. overqualified, but you know, sometimes you can't even bring people to water. <laughs> yeah. Totally. They just think what they think and it doesn't matter anyway. Mm. Mm. So what are your, what are your patents in? Or was that something when you were at Boeing or is it, oh. are they personal things or out of curiosity? No, no, they were patents at, at Boeing actually on my wall over there. But, um, but actually we filed patents at Boeing and then we've actually filed five patents at uh, Rebellious. They're not all mine. There's other engineers that are mm. um, at Rebellious, but we filed five patents in the last year for Rebellious Foods um, for new optimized and um, novel equipment for making plant-based meat, which is pretty exciting. Um, but um, yeah, my patents at Boeing were all um, in wing assembly, essentially um, automated and customized wing assembly on the 777 and the 777X. So wow. uh, actually just the 777, 777X was a different project. But um, but yeah, if you imagine it, it's really, really, really hard to put together an airplane. And um, there are ways and tools that um, I, I designed, along with other engineers as well, designed um, to make that in more automated or more accurate or a lot easier or um, just, just a lot of different ways you can improve how we put together airplanes. <laughs> so amazing. So cool. Um, so let's get into rebellious a little bit. You have been, um, you started with kind of what you, you were describing specifically with equipment and manufacturing, I think. Um, recently you got into your own packaged food brand. So just tell okay. us kind of like how things have evolved over the first three years. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, three years. And I actually was thinking about it. It's been about three and a half years is okay. what it's been. So <laughs> it, it feels, the pandemic feels like 10 years. So I totally. sometimes I'd say 10 years, but um, <laughs> it, it does, it has only been three and a half years. So um, yeah, Rebellious Foods, we started, um, we actually kind of technically launched in Y Combinator in 2018. So it has more like 20, yeah, a little more than two, three years. And um and we, we launched a Y Combinator as Seattle Food Tech. We had a product. It, it was a good product. It's not the one we have today. It was a much better one today. <laughs> you always got to improve your food products. They get, they get like the flavor or whatever. It's hard, to, it's hard to keep it consistent. So you always have to like keep improving on your, on your um, food products. So you anyway, started, um, sorry to cut you off. So you started yeah. with a food product. 
Yeah, we started with a food product. Yeah. And, and yes, I, I was the, the sole person at the time. I hired on one other person around the time Y Combinator started. Um, we went forward for a few months, got through Y Combinator, you know, got started making this particular product. And yeah, we did. Because what we realized was that you have to actually know how to make plant-based meat in order to know how to design the tools to make totally. plant-based meat. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and so we decided, well, this is the revenue stream that ultimately will make us pretty good money is actually selling good product, especially because if our products can be better because we automate it, it's going to be better. But we did start with the food product and then designed the equipment along the way. And so um, we got, you know, really good at like identifying the bottlenecks, the problems, the pain points, the things that just didn't work at all. And we got all of that concentrated into various different documents and things like that. And those were the things that those were the ideas that then nucleated into equipment designs and those equipment designs nucleated into systems. And then I hired a whole bunch of engineers to just go to town on those designs. And then they took them to the next level um, to be able to um, Essentially, yeah, it took those to the next level. And then we, we, about three months ago, two months ago, we finished what we call the Mach 1, which is this new production <laughs> system that automates all of the most laborious parts of plant-based meat making and um, reduces the labor on the production line by 50% and reduces the cost of goods sold or the cost of manufacturing by 60% or more. Wow. And it really just makes a dramatic difference. So we really believe that consumers are going to start seeing these products for a lot less because they can, um, because we're making them much more efficiently than we ever have before. And so that's how Rebellious came up with this idea. And interestingly enough, for, for your listeners, you might enjoy this uh, anecdote. We called it the Mach 1 because it's super fast. So it's almost like <laughs> M-A-C-H-1. Mm -hmm. But um, we actually called it the Mach 1, M-O-C-K, because it makes mock meat. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's the Mach 1 spelled M-O-C-K. Very creative. Yeah. So then the next generation that we're also working on right now. So the Mach 1 can make about 100 to 200 pounds of plant-based meat per hour. And then the Mach 2 can make about 2,000 to 3,000 pounds per hour. Um, so we're working on that design as fast as we can. And so all of those are, are, you know, both of those systems and future Mach systems, I guess we'll have to get to like Mach 4 or 5. It gets really big. <laughs> um, that would be a lot of plant-based meat. That would like mm -hmm. a billion pounds. No, no, sorry. Like, yeah, I think like a billion pounds out of one factory if we got much higher than that. So, but at any rate, it that would be a lot. <laughs> um, so at any rate, yeah, the whole idea was that we realized we had to be food manufacturers in order to be better food manufacturers. Mm. And so we, you know, over the years, we acquired a facility. We now run uh, what's called a safe quality food or SQF certified food production facility in West Seattle. Um, we employ about 40 people. We uh, have a big design team, engineering team, operations team, and um, and all, all of us work together on either production or engineering or that merge between the two to make production even more more efficient with better equipment. And so that's, that's really what we do on a daily basis at Rebellious Foods. Yeah. And were you making, so like the Rebellious Nuggets and the products you have right now, were you making that with traditional uh, equipment first 
to kind of see all the problems that there was. And now yes. with the Mach 1, you're hoping to just yes. blow that out of the water. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. In fact, we still do. Um, right now, in fact, we just launched the project to go ahead and deploy the Mach 1 onto our production floor and replace that old meat processing equipment. We're finally there. We've got the wow. pads, we've got the prototypes, we've got equipment on, on order. And once we get that system set up and running, yeah, we'll just throw ingredients in the top. It does all its stuff in the right order and we'll be able to 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 pump out nuggets and patties and tenders and it'll all taste perfect and yeah it's pretty exciting so we're hoping that over the next four maybe five months we'll have that up and running on our production floor it takes a little time you got to get an electrician and all sorts of stuff <laughs> mm. and is is the mach one is it specifically for chicken products or can you do other products no it could make Beyond Burgers or Impossible Burgers uh -huh. or Morningstar Nuggets. Um, we're going to use it for being rebellious right now <laughs> because, uh, you know, we need to make a lot of rebellious. But, you know, we part of our business model is that we, in the future, will be able to sell our Mach 2, our Mach 3 models for larger production facilities where they can use it to make Impossible Burgers or other bread-battered fried chicken products or things like that. So anywhere you need, um, you know, anywhere you kind of do what's called mix and form production of plant-based meat, which is about 90% of all plant-based meat in the United States. Mm -hmm. mm. So three years is, is pretty quick for something like this. Is there yeah. any, <laughs> is there any like massive challenge that stands out over those three years for you to get to where you are um, now? Yeah, COVID. <laughs> yeah. COVID was really, really, and still is yeah. really, really hard. I mean, I just don't even think there's been a month since March of 2020 that wasn't like all I was thinking about was COVID because we ran an in-person manufacturing facility because our customers were all food service customers and we had to pivot during COVID and during the height of COVID into a consumer packaged good product that people could get into the grocery store because they weren't going to ballpark stadiums. One of our biggest uh, customers was just about to be at the national school lunch program and all the schools shut down. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there was just COVID hit us hard. It hit us fast. Um, and I mean, it hit everybody fast, of course. But it, it, made a, it made a lasting impact to our company because it fundamentally changed how we were going to interface with the world. And now, uh, you know, a, a year on from COVID, we launched a uh, little less than a year on from COVID. We launched three new products into the retail market. Um, now they're in Safeway. Uh, they'll soon be launched in Kroger or QFC here in the Seattle area. Um, and, and it's just a pretty exciting opportunity that, you know, while it was kind of voiced upon us by COVID, we're really excited that we're in the retail market now because now we have this extraordinary opportunity to interface with either the food service or the retail market and be able to serve customers both places with lower cost products in the future. Mm. Yeah, and on the, on the customer front, you've I'm sure done taste tests and you know tests with all kinds of different people um, is there any sort of, um, hurdle or, or mental block with some people really wanting to adopt, uh, specifically plant-based chicken products that you've seen? Oh, you mean from people who are trying to decide whether or not to eat animal-based chicken or plant-based? Yeah. Um, 
No, but we did discover there are lots of things people don't like about chicken nuggets. (laughs) (laughs) I I think price is the one hurdle, I actually, Mm. that is universal, that people are willing to pay more for plant-based some of the time, occasionally, whenever they feel like it, but not all the time. And they are willing to pay the price of chicken kind of all the time. You know, we eat chicken almost every single day in the United States. I mean, I don't, but other people do. And mm-hmm. we, as a, as a society and as a world, ever since swine flu decimated the pig industry in China, now chicken is the large, most consumed protein, animal protein right. in the entire world. So it, it, you know, con- convincing people to eat something besides chicken is, um, is more about making sure that it's just available and affordable and of course tastes wonderful, but um, it, it definitely has to be the right price. And then the other thing is, like I said, we found that people have a lot of things they don't like about chicken. So there were things like that we could improve upon. We could make better than chicken products. So things like greasiness, there's a lot of saturated fat in chicken and having less saturated fat in, um, in plant-based meat actually turned out to be better and tastier. Mm. Um, So getting people really like juicy chicken, you can actually make plant-based meat juicier and less less fatty than chicken. And so you actually have more control over that, which is pretty exciting. People also don't like gristle. They don't like pieces of skin in their meat. And you don't have that problem with plant-based meat. (laughs) And you never eat a chicken nugget and and be like, well, what is that? That's weird. You know? And, and, you know, people kind of like put it out of their mind, like, okay, that was just a gross chicken nugget, but other chicken nuggets will be fine. But it happens over and over again. And people told us, they were like, God, I just wish that wasn't something that was a part of chicken nuggets. They're so good, but I hate that, you know? Um, And then antibiotics, you know, most of the chickens in the United States um, are still raised with high levels of antibiotics. And if you're feeding kids in school lunch programs, um, there doesn't, there isn't enough antibiotic free chicken, even on the market, let alone be able to afford antibiotic chicken for kids and plant-based meat has no antibiotics in it. So Mm -hmm. there were lots of things that plant-based meat ends up being a better than chicken product or better, you know, and so as a result, consumers actually get more of what they want, but we got to get that price down. Mm, Totally. Totally. On the, on the marketing front, it's interesting talking with like you and and Josh Bach um, and, and Paul, like all of you guys stem from a wanting to, um, you know, impact the planet, specifically end factory farming. How do you, and obviously like all of you guys um, are, are outspoken about it when you give interviews and things like that. How do you see that from like a marketing standpoint? I know, um, you know, Impossible and Beyond, uh, the founders are also similar. Um, how, how do you see like those values intertwining with the marketing and kind of like the not being elitists kind of approach? Like, how do you, how do you see all that fitting together? It clearly hasn't stopped any of the other companies whatsoever. Um, but I'm just curious your, your thoughts around that. You mean elitist from the point of view of like talking about not eating meat, it, I, I just mean like, like available to and not everybody. Yeah. I just mean like as a marketing strategy, uh-huh. as like the face of the business, do you feel, and I'm kind of asking this like for myself as well, being, being in the yeah. space as well. Uh-huh. Like I, for the most part, 
tend to like stay in my lane of like health and wellness, although I share the same goal as you, mm-hmm. um, because I think it, it might appeal to more. Um, but I don't know, like how do, how do you kind of approach that while running a business yet? These are your values. Yeah, they don't, they, uh, they, we have better people than me to do marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We that's have fair. smarter, savvier, <laughs> more creative people than me to do marketing at Rebellious Foods. Uh-huh. Um, and they're much better at this. Um, no, but I, and in part, I am actually being quite serious. Um, our marketing team is run by Christy Middleton, who um, is also an advocate and somebody who cares about, about these things, uh, just like we do. Also outspoken about the possibilities of being vegetarian or vegan or just replacing meat. But she's also a pragmatist. She mm. understands that we have to meet people's needs. And whether we, you know, when we share our motivations for why we do things, I think that it brings a level of authenticity um, mm. that, that consumers can depend on. You know, if, if I feel like if people didn't really know more about why I was doing what I was doing or what gets me up every morning or, you know, what motivates me to maybe hire a lot of women or choose technology over maybe a huge sale opportunity not, not that I would ever actually not do that, but I just saying, you know, there's a lot of different decisions that a, that a CEO makes in a company. And I like to make sure that people understand where, where my values are and where my values lie also fundamentally um, reflects on the impact that the company is going to make. So for example, you know, I, I like people to know that our goal is to, design technology that makes their products better. So, you know, they don't have to know what the technology is. They don't have to be worried that we're going to like put weird things in their food. All we're telling them is that, is that we're going to use the best ingredients out there, but we're going to just process it differently so that it's better and it's always going to be more tasty and it's going to be more affordable for you. And then consumers kind of understand where we're coming from. We're not just there to, um, you know, to, to make a profitable company, although that, of course, that's part of it because that's what changes the world. When you change mm. the direction of resources, you can change the world. And, and that makes a really, really big difference. You have to make money in a company, otherwise you're not making impact. Um, But when consumers understand that there's other motivations behind Rebellious and that we have their interests in mind, that authenticity, I think, comes through. And so, you know, while we do have smarter people working on marketing, (laughs) um, I, I do believe in saying why I'm here, what I think is important, um, why I think it's important. And, you know, consumers may not res- resonate with all of it, um, you know, and hopefully they're listening to Christy Middleton when it comes to marketing <laughs> and choosing their products, but I'm delightful, delighted if they choose Rebellious um, because they've heard me talk as well. Um, but I, I hope that they understand that it comes from a place of, of, of not just wanting to, you know, sell a product, but actually to fundamentally help them vote with their dollars to do something better for their health, for the animals and for the environment. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, I only got one or two more here. We're, we're getting close to an hour. Um, but for um, entrepreneurs, again, you are, you know, in three years, in many ways, your, um, you know, your goals, your, your dream of what uh, the company could become, it's becoming that. And you've come so far in three years 
Um, and like I said, you've, you've had in such a short period of time, some, some significant level of success. Do you have any specific tactics you use to accomplish goals? Um, do you write stuff down? Do you visualize things? Do you do any, anything along those lines? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I do a lot of things. (laughs) Um, I feel like I kind of have like two or three lists going at once. I've got like a list on my computer, a list on my phone, and I just kind of hope they're the same list most of the time. Um, but I would say I, I definitely essentially kind of segment out my time such that um, I, I really consider management of a company an active sport. <laughs> um, so for entrepreneurs, don't expect to sit at your desk all day and answer email. That is not what you do with your day. What you do with your day is talk to people, get in meetings, move things along, unblock problems, you know, put out fires. Hopefully they're not real fires, but that does happen every once in a while. And, um, and really, really try to make work. We say at Rebellious, one of our taglines at Rebellious internally to us is build the change you want to see in the world. You have to be building if whether you're thinking about it from a Lego perspective or, you know, a societal perspective, you have to build the change you want to be in the world. So I often just, I can go a whole day without ever seeing my email. And then of course that sometimes backfires on me, <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I go to work every day. I used to wear like dress shoes, but that was just like a lost cause. You have to go in your, in your work boots or your tennis shoes because it is an active sport. And, um, and, and again, whether or not you're, you're still at the phase where you're building your company from the small ground up, you got to get out there. You gotta, you, you gotta be, um, you gotta share it with the world any way that you possibly can. And, um, you know, email and, you know, small requests and things like that, that can wait for midnight. <laughs> that's, that's after the dogs have gone to sleep <laughs> and, and I, I can get a little work done. Um, but, but I would say it really has to be an active sport and the best thing you can do. And what I do every single day is keep trying and trying and trying because, um, you know, and this is actually something I learned at Y Combinator. There's a great video on the Y Combinator YouTube channel called um, Create Your Own Luck. And, and that is actually what entrepreneur is about. It's really creating your own luck, trying, getting out there, you know, eat right and make sure you have enough energy and wear good supportive shoes <laughs> um, <laughs> because you're going to need all of that energy to be able to build the change you want to see in the world. And so that, that's what I would recommend for entrepreneurs. Mm, absolutely amazing. Well, before my last one, thank you, Chrissy. Um, you are a force of nature, all you're doing. Um, it's super impressive. It's awesome to see. Um, and you are going to have a massive, massive impact. Um, you already are, but um, just kudos to you and all you're doing. Um, thank you. It, it's beautiful to see when, when people align their, their, their passion and their mission in life with, with their business and their day-to-day. Um, so just keep going. It, it's awesome to see. Thank um, you. Appreciate last one, where can uh, people follow you in Rebellious and anything you want to leave listeners with? 
Yeah, sure. Um, the best way to find us is rebellious.com and it's R E B E L L Y O U S. So it's like your tummy rebelli, like rebellious um, rebellious.com. And while you're there, please go check out our hiring page, which is called join the rebellion. Click on that. You'll find that we have, um, we find that we'll have, I think we have eight or nine, it may even be 10 jobs open right now. Everything from marketing to management, to technicians, to research technicians, to engineers. And, you know, as a spotlight ahead, um, we are just about to open up a bunch of requisitions or new job descriptions for, um, I think, five more engineers. So I'm really, really excited about that. So if you're an engineer out there and you want to come work on equipment that can change the chicken processing industry, we want to talk to you. Um, so check that out watch that website because we'll be getting that out there as quickly as possible. Um, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me. I always love that. I, I try to check it once a week, but sometimes it's every other week. Um, and I, I'm happy to connect with other entrepreneurs and, you know, provide advice. Um, I might be driving my car while we talk, but, you know, something, something, I'll be on the move, but I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you. And, um, yeah, just if you ever have a question that you want to just get directly to me, I'll ask that you use the info at rebellious.com because then that is monitored by somebody who is at their email every day <laughs> and they will find you a better answer or get, me, get the question to me so I can get you an answer as well. So yeah, I just encourage everybody to, you know, find a way to get involved, whether it's volunteering, whether it's going after your passion, you know, I, I didn't really become an entrepreneur until I, I think I was 40 years old when I started this effort. So it was like, I, you know, it's been, it's been a while before I started, um, you know, really using my, all of my skills together to do this one thing, but my passions were predated that in all sorts of volunteer and board opportunities and getting involved in activism. So I highly recommend people you know, get involved and do the things they love, even if they have a day job that's paying the bills because both can work together. Mm. Amazing. Well, thank you, Christy. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you getting our story out there and appreciate all your listeners for, for listening. And it's really great. 